Hello, and welcome to our weekly podcast of Who's Here in the Hamptons. I'm Dan Rettiner, your host, broadcasting from my home in the Hamptons, where I have lived for over 55 years. I've written a dozen books about this glorious place, and I've seen it grow through the years from small tourist towns, quaint fishing villages, and a summer playground for high society, to what it is today, a world-class resort for celebrities, artists, musicians, authors, and billionaires. In my podcast, I will bring you interviews with not only these people, but also prominent local people who have helped shape the Hamptons. My guest today on our podcast is Julie Andrews, the British-born actress known best for My Fair Lady and Mary Poppins, and her daughter, Emma Walton, co-founder of Bay Street and uh, co-author of many, what, more than a dozen children's books, some with her mother. I want to start off by asking each of you a question. Julie, um, I know you are a dame. You're Dame Julie Andrews, a DBE. I think that stands for Daughter of the British Empire or something like that. Something like that. <laughs> <laughs> and what I wanted to know is um, when they had the ceremony for you to become a dame, did they put a sword on your shoulder or how was it? No, uh, as a matter of fact, they don't put a sword on any woman's shoulder, neither do they do it for the clergy when being knighted, uh, because women and the clergy are people of peace, and it's only the men that get the sword on their shoulders, and uh, the women just get, a, I think it's two beautiful medals, one in a, in a beautiful uh, framed case and the other gets on your lapel, and it's a beautiful day, and it was a wonderful day. How did it go about? What well, happened? it was, was it first of all, it was one of those beautiful days in London where that watercolor, watery sunshine was all over London, and the buildings looked beautiful, and the palace looked beautiful, and was. And uh, it was really just uh, being, being fated in the most elegant and, and charming and friendly way. Everybody said hello as one went through the gates and as one went up the stairs and so on. And yes. of course there were other people, many other people there also being honored. And it, it's a ceremony that's very, I hold it very privately inside. It's nothing that I really, well, I try not to boast about it because it's quite moving to be honored by your queen and country. And I found it awesome really. And Emma was with me, which was just, lovely. It was a beautiful day, wasn't it, darling? It was. It was a, an extraordinary day. And I think you might have given the deepest curtsy I've ever seen anyone give. <laughs> I did my best not to topple over or anything. Those very, very long legs of yours. It was fantastic. <laughs> you were directly facing the Queen at that I day. was. Uh, Her Majesty came in. I went, came in from one side of the hall. Her Majesty uh, came in from the other side of this vast ballroom and the orchestra was playing in the gallery uh, at the far end and Her Majesty looked as she is very diminutive very tiny but she was flanked by ladies-in-waiting and and different members of her household and in spite of seeming very small she radiated such kindness and and there's something I, I can't explain it really it's very hard to say but as is always with her majesty she was 
strong and lovely and she was very very kind and said something to me like I've been waiting a long time to see you or something like that I, I can't actually remember can you Emma I know I wrote it down at the time. Yeah, I think, on the I day, think that's but, about right. What yeah. I remember is, um, I remember that when we arrived, there was this extraordinary search of the car, inside, outside, underneath, above. <laughs> where, yeah, that happened and first. Then, um, yeah, and then, and we were with um, my mother's uh, brother was with us, one of her brothers, the eldest of her brothers. And so it was me and uh, and her brother and we, were separated so that mom could go off to a holding area where all the honorees were instructed on how to greet the queen and what the protocol is and what you do and what you say and what you don't do and say. And we were, my uncle and I were escorted, well not escorted, we, we made our way into the ballroom down this astonishing hallway full of Renoirs and Turners and everything you can imagine. Full and, of coronations and, and yes. Oreo was there. And also um, actual men in suits of armor and chainmail standing oh, on the man. stairs. And yeah, yeah. I mean, they, they look like statues, but then you realize they have eyes that are moving and following. <laughs> I don't know how they stood so still. It was a seemed seemed like a warm day to me, and they were they must have been really hot in there somewhere. But the amazing thing was for me, uh, I, I was just so astonished by the queen's professionalism. Is, is and demeanor, it, yes. Well, yeah, just, I mean, it, honestly, the ceremony was a, over two hours without a break, without an intermission, because there were so many people to be honored. And she stood at the front of the stage or the dais and one by one, each individual who was receiving an honor approached her. And as they did so, an equerry would bring over the medal that she was appropriate medal, yeah. and would whisper something in her ears, you know, something like, this is the gentleman who repaired the roads in Bath or, you know, something like that. <laughs> and, um, and I literally saw him whisper in her ear and then she bent forward to acknowledge the person and never once did she look over her shoulder or say, what, can you say that again, excuse me? You know, there was never a moment where she faulted or where she even shifted her weight. Yeah. You know, it was, it still was extraordinary. Was yeah. yeah, she was so complete eye contact and she she was present and and tried to say something personal to each and every one of us yeah it was really an amazing act yeah did you and, shake your hand or just uh, shake your hand yes you do and then you did then i wonder if they do now probably not anymore i don't know <laughs> post covid yes i wonder that's a well we'll have to ask at some point yeah um what was uh, also lovely, you mustn't speak until spoken to. And um, and you mustn't turn your back on the queen when you... No, leave. you must back away from her and then turn. Well, in my case, I turned right and walked to the other side of the hall. But you know when the general meeting is over and she's, she's very gentle and quite firm about the, the last shake of the hand is almost a, a gentle push away in order to say, in order to say I had lots of people to get to today. Let me ask you the question I had in my mind, which was, can you describe how you and your husband and uh, Sybil uh, Christopher started the Bay Street idea that you were going to do oh, that? that? That's a question for me. Yes, I'd be happy to describe that 30 years ago, if you can believe it. It's Bay Street's 30th anniversary this year. My husband and I were both 
acting, producing. I was directing at the time in theater in New York. Um, but we were spending a great deal of time out here because my father had a house in Sag Harbor for many, many years. And we would spend weekends out here and every spare moment really. And we, we were married out here. And we kept trying to reconcile our desire to work in the theater with our love for Sag Harbor. And we kept looking around trying to find some place where we might be able to produce theater. And we looked at potato barns and we looked at grange halls and church basements and all sorts of things. <laughs> and, um, one night we were, Sybil Christopher was actually living with us that summer. She had uh, recently separated from her husband. She had rented her house for the summer. And so she was living with us and we went to dinner at a restaurant, which is now Tutto Il Giorno in Sag Harbor, but at the time was a, a little fish shanty called Web City, very different looking than it looks now. <laughs> and it was uh, it was diagonally across the street, sort of catty corner, kitty corner, whatever they call it from, uh, from Bay Street. And Bay Street had most recently been a nightclub. My husband and I had been many times, we'd seen Tina Turner there and Little Richard and all sorts of wonderful acts, but it had been vacant for a year because the, the village wasn't thrilled with the, the type of crowd the nightclub was drawing and the landlord had not renewed the lease. So we looked at this empty building and we said, boy, if anybody was going to produce theater out on the East End, that would be the ideal spot. Sag Harbor is the arts community. Out right here. on the edge by the sea. and, and It's the right bay. on the wharf. It's right at the four corners of Main Street. It's sort of half, you know, neutral territory between East Hampton and South Hampton. That would be the spot. And seated at the next table, was an old friend of ours who is a longtime uh, realtor out here by the name of Susan Sprott. And actually the funny thing about Susan is she's in Sag Harbor because of my father as well. Her husband was a very famous Broadway prop maker, prop designer. So we knew each other well and she leaned over and she said, I don't mean to eavesdrop, but I couldn't help but overhear what you were saying. And I happen to know the landlord and I happen to know he's really keen on finding something for that space that would be community minded and that the village would be happy with. Why don't you make a proposal? And we, at the time, we sort of said, oh yeah, sure. You know. Serendipity. <laughs> yeah, but then she kept calling for the, the next couple of days. She kept calling us and saying, do you have that proposal yet? Do you have that proposal yet? Mm -hmm. So then we thought, well, why not give it a shot? Sybil was with us. Sybil's daughter had been uh, had spent a lot of time at Williamstown Theater Festival, which Steve and I were very familiar with. And we thought, you know, between Steve's and my youth and energy at the time, and uh, and Sybil's experience and connections, maybe we could pull this off. So we wrote up a proposal, kind of loosely modeled on the Williamstown Theater summer theater program, where they had a main stage season and a second stage and a reading series and the cabaret series and education programs. And we sent it. And within less than an hour, we had a phone call from Pat Malloy, the landlord, <laughs> saying, you know, I'm very interested. When can we meet? <laughs> and then it was about six months to negotiate the lease because our- A lot of raising money, right, darling? Yes, a lot of raising money. Our fantasy, of course, was that it was gonna be like the public theater and he would rent it to us for a dollar a year. And he was looking for market value. So it took a while to meet him. <laughs> But uh, Meet in the Middle we did, and he was incredibly generous and has been for the life of Bay Street Theatre. And um, and the rest is history, as they say. It changed the whole feeling of that end of the village, didn't it, darling? I mean, restaurants <laughs> thrived and, and there was parking on, on the wharf, which was so great. And 
Yeah, and I, I remember the first time, I remember the first time we started to see things like, you know, pre-theater dinner prices offered at the restaurants or the real estate agent listings saying, walk to theater as one of the perks of one of their <laughs> homes, you know, and yeah. oh, gosh, I guess maybe we've really, you know, we've- And I remember that your husband, your my lovely son-in-law, Steve, in the early days was going door to door to see what in-kind donations various, oh, I don't know, things like builders or, or uh, the, the, the hardware store and all of that could right. help with. And he did an enormous amount of fundraising that way. Yeah, he created a campaign called the Master Builders, which uh, in which members of the community, particularly of the business community, so plumbers, welders, builders, hardware stores. And, and in the meantime, you were also trying to book uh, uh, product for for the audiences to come, and that must have been very hard to combine the two, darling. It was. I mean, we right up until the last minute, we were uh, we were in rehearsal for our first production, which was um, Joe Pintoro's Men's Lives, based on the book by Peter Matheson about the the baymen, yes. the the fishermen out here for you know multiple generations, and we didn't have seats in the theater and we didn't know where we were gonna get seats. And we honestly thought we were gonna to have to put cushions on the risers and just kind of present the show, you know, almost, you know, open, you know, Greek amphitheater style with people yeah. sitting in, you know. As a sit-in uh, rather than a- Yeah, exactly. But it, as it happened, as so often it happened in those early days of building Bay Street, there was this extraordinary serendipity where a welder was, you know, flaming one of the I-beams and, and overheard us talking about seats and said, oh, I'm, you know, my cousin has a movie theater in Tenafly, New Jersey. He's got a whole warehouse full of seats. You want them? <laughs> you <know? laughs> and we rented a truck and drove to New Jersey and brought those seats back. And well, they were beautiful seats now that they've been re repurposed, refurbished. Yeah. But Let me ask you um, about the uh, project you're doing now, which is not so much a project that's part of a reading podcast, I guess, or show that's coming up for a book the two of you wrote together, I think. Which will be at Bay Street, right? That's right. Well, it's Simeon's Gift. Simeon's when Gift. Yes. When is that going to be and when? So that'll be May 15th at 1030 in the morning. We are the, uh, I believe we are the concluding event in um, a story time reading series that Bay Street developed this spring online live readings from children's book authors on Saturday mornings via Zoom. And so the authors, they've been reading every Saturday since March and authors are reading their books and then doing Q&A with the uh, attendees. And we will be reading our book, Simeon's Gift. What is the history of that? That was the originally written. Oh. It was about yeah, well, We've been writing for a while together, haven't we, darling? Uh, well, actually, Simeon's Gift truthfully, was the first thing we ever wrote together. The, the, well, uh, yes, if you count that. Yeah, was, the, the, yes. the original version of Simeon's Gift was a little story that uh, mom and I wrote when I was five years old. And she and my father were separated and living on opposite coasts, but still very good friends. And mom had the idea that uh, if we wrote a story together, perhaps my father, who is a Broadway production designer, sets and costumes for film and for Broadway, but also an illustrator, that he could illustrate this story and then she would have it bound for me as a sort of a memento of our togetherness and our family-ness, even though uh, we, you know, they were divorced. Dissolve some 
20 something, 30 something years later, <laughs> mom and I were actually writing children's books together, other, other children's books. And our editor asked if we had any, any other ideas. And we remembered this little story that we'd written and I still have a copy of and uh, brought it out. And she said, well, you might wanna revisit it now from an adult perspective. And so we did, but the bones of that story of Simeon's gift um, were first born when I was five and uh, then came to life. I'm not revealing my age here. No, right. <laughs> then came to life as a book um, many years later after that, and then had um, the extraordinary experience of going on to be developed for as a as a musical for the stage which we premiered at Bay Street and then on to uh, having a life in the symphony which uh, with mom narrating and with beautiful classical singers and a full 88 piece everything about Simeon was serendipity wasn't it it really was tell about tell about uh, Gennady Spirin the 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 gentleman that finally <laughs> consented to illustrate the book for us our, uh, our illustrator, Gennady Spirin, is um, a very famous, esteemed children's illustrator, painter. He's Russian, and we, we had kept, we'd fallen in love with his work when we were thinking about whom we might like to have illustrate. And we asked our editor, could we possibly approach him? And she said, oh, you'll never get him. You know, first of all, he's very, very famous and doesn't do anything that he isn't personally connected to or feel doesn't feel moved by. He doesn't speak a word of English. You know, it'll never Some happen. translates for him, yeah. Yeah, and we said, well, could you just ask? And lo and behold, he didn't. He had no idea who mom was, nope. uh, but he liked, he responded to the story because it's a story about art and the making of art in, in, in musical form. But he, he identified and he agreed to do it, which was just such a thrill for us. And when we did see those first illustrations, he brought them to us and they had, there were how many, darling? I can't oh, There were 12 pieces in total. And he said, I paint and I will not repaint. So you get finished <laughs> art and you don't get any input whatsoever. <laughs> but said, he's well, done his homework, really, really done his homework. And Simeon is on the, uh, a quest in, in this story, is that correct? Yes, he's a, he's a, uh, he's a young musician who wants to really learn his craft. He's a simple, humble man, but he loves a, a lady of noble birth. And he really wants to better himself to be worthy of her hand. I mean, her family wouldn't consider marriage unless he had, you know, something really to offer. And so he says goodbye to his dear love and journeys uh, up the river, which has its own musical sound and everything he sees and everyone he meets gives him the beginning of an education into music. He meets uh, the drummers who are practicing their marching and their drums and they teach him rhythm I guess and then he meets the um, monks who are singing in the abbey and they teach him harmony and he stays with them for a while and then he meets a poet on the path into the big big city to cut a long uh, well to cut a short story even shorter <laughs> um, he becomes overwhelmed in the big city. He he learns and sees and experiences so much that it almost becomes a cacophony for him. And he feels that he's not worthy and that he has nothing to offer. And he sells his loot and buys a little canoe and makes a sail and heads for home back down the river uh, that he had been following. And uh, on the way, this is where our little story began, 
he meets a bird and he gives him food and the bird stays with him and sings and he meets a, a he sees a fish that he rescues a beautiful rainbow colored fish that he rescues from people who are going to just cut it up and and eat it or whatever and he sends it back into the river and then he meets a fawn who is in in uh, pain because it has a stone in 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 its hoof and one way and another they follow him with really to express their thanks all the way home and music and a theme of music and the singing of the bird and the splashing of the musical splashing of the fish and the clip clopping of the of the little uh, fawn uh, stir in him all the things that he has learned and he forms a beautiful melody and eventually wins his lady and becomes a very very famous musician indeed throughout the land of course and uh, again when is that going to be read at what uh, it's saturday about? may 15th at 10 30 a.m via zoom so it will be live but attendance uh, people can attend via zoom and find uh tickets available through bay street's website which is baystreet.org well thank you very much both of you this is uh, julie andrews and her our daughter emma walton thank you again for for coming thank well, you for having us great pleasure and thank you dan always a pleasure to talk to you Thanks. be well <laughs>